Okay, we are now starting our study of skills, methodology in Masachet Kiddushin. And really the way that our, this shiur has sort of evolved is that we are using the various sugyot that we encounter as an opportunity to strengthen our skills of understanding how the Gemara operates, how it works. Uh, important to note, just a couple kind of broad statements about this, considering we're starting a new Masachet, is that we are not dealing chiefly or even in any significant way with the methodology of Tanaitic literature. We're not talking about Mishnah or Tosefta or Midrash Halakha. We are focusing really on the Shakla Vitarya, the give and take of the, uh, of the Gemara, which is in the later generations of the Amoraim, and, and we've talked about that a little bit. But of course, there's no way to address any of these things without looking at the background. Now, and when I say background, I mean content background, not skills background. Um, And again, this is sort of like a headline statement, is that when we study a sugya, and this is an important methodological point, when we come to study a sugya, we want to address a sugya, what do we need to do? So we need to first arm ourselves with all of the necessary background, right? So... Typically, the background is not going to be biblical. It will not be Tanakh. Here and there, there's going to be passages in Tanakh that are important. But will be absolutely vital will be Mishnah and Tosefta. Meaning, we have to have the background of where the entire discussion is taking place. From, from, from what context. And that almost always is going to start in the Mishnah and often in the Tosefta as well. Uh, and so that's something that we're going to see along the way today. In other words, you can't really address the skills of studying a sugya if you don't understand the content and the topic. And in order to understand the topic and the halachic considerations regarding that topic, you have to have the subject matter background. So the first few minutes of every shiur are devoted to that. And along the way, I'll be adding pieces in. But the main focus, again, is going to be the skills. Okay. Enough of that, and now some introduction, which will seem absolutely irrelevant to the issue of Kiddushin, which is a passage at the end of Parshat Korach. So just one side note about the book of Bamidbar. Every one of the five Chumashim is unique and has unique style and approach. The literary style of Sefer Bamidbar has its own niche, which is that it vacillates deliberately between narrative and law. You know, Bereshit is all narrative. Vayikra is all law. Dvarim is speech. Uh, Shmot is narrative and law, but it's pretty well divided. The first uh, really 19 chapters are pretty much narrative. And then the rest is law, except for the one narrative about the Egel. Uh, so it, it's, it's the chunks. Bamidbar is different. Bamidbar keeps bouncing back and forth between narrative and law. And the the law is always associated in some way with the narrative. So, for instance, right before we hear about the death of Miriam and Aharon, we hear the laws of Tumat Mate. And, um, and after we hear about the story about not being allowed to come into the land, we get a series of mitzvot that all have to do with being in the land. And in Parshat Korach, which I know for sure one is a very sensitive one, um, which is really about the challenge to the kuhuna. So after that, that's the not the Datan Ravir rebellion, but the Korach rebellion is a challenge to the Kuna, the halachot that make up the last third of the parsha, which is the 
Christian division is chapter 18, are all about the different gifts given to the Kohanim and all those laws. And at the very end of that, we have these three psukim. This is the end of Parshat Korach. This is what you tell the Levi'im. This is when the Levi'im take Trumat Maser, meaning one-tenth of their Maser, and you're to the Kohanim. When you give the best of what you have, it'll be considered to the Levim as if the same way that we, the non-Kohan, non-Levim, give Truma. You Kohanim can eat it anywhere. It is a reward to you because you're doing the Avodah. Okay. Now, the Kohanim get this reward of truma, but do not bear any sin on its account. Now, this is really addressed to the Levi'im and really to us. By giving the best kind, we won't be sinners. So, in other words, that's how we know, famous Drush of Lazar, that if you give inferior quality to truma, it counts. It is truma, but it's not right. And here's the part that we care about. But So this last pasuk is really bifurcated. The first half of it is focused on the donator, the donor, the one who's dividing up, uh, portioning up his uh, yield and giving some of it to the Kohanim. In this case, the Levi'im, taking their ma'aser and giving one-tenth to the Kohanim. Give your best stuff and you won't be sinners. And the second half is addressed to the Kohanim. Do not violate, do not profane the Kodashim of B'nai Yisrael, and therefore, thereby you will not die. So, of course, the question is, what does it mean for a Kohen to profane the Kodashim of B'nai Yisrael? So, the regular Sifrei, the standard Sifrei on, uh, on Bamidbar, doesn't make an elaborate comment, but the Sifrei Zuta, which is a parallel Midrash Halacha, has the following comment. Says so this, this proves that both the Kohanim and the Levim are liable for profaning the sancta that's given to them. How do they profane it? By working in the field, by working at the granary. Um, meaning that a Kohen hires himself out and he works in the granary. And then, as a result of that, he's the local Kohen, and so the owner gives him his truma. He has profaned a truma because the relationship has become inverted. Instead of me, the farmer, being thankful to God and seeking out a Kohen and trying to give the truma to him, instead he's coming to my doorstep and he's working for me. Right? If a Kohen says to a, a Yisrael, I'll come and work for you, and you give me the truma, he's chayav mita, and he quotes our pasuk. Now, chayav mita here is not a, 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 a legalistic statement. It's sort of a moral statement. and so He really, theoretically, is deserving, deserving of death. Okay, that's this notion of Kohen, of Kohen working in the Goran. Now, you'll see it more explicitly in this short passage from the Yerushalmi. The Yushalmi quotes a Braita. I can't find the original Braita. If Kohanim and Levim come and work in your granary 
This is now a legal statement. We're not talking about the ethical thing. Theoretically, you should be deserving of death. Practically, we don't give them trumot and masrot. In other words, because they have profaned the relationship. If let's say you, everybody now is agreeable. I'm agreeable. They're agreeable. They'll come work for me. I'll give them the truma. I have just profaned the truma. I, the Yisrael, have profaned the truma by making it as part of a business arrangement. Okay? And so that you see the strong statement about that. We're going to come back to that. I want to show you one other thing that's, that has nothing to do with that. But again, necessary background. Um, I don't know whether you already got your notice, but I have a notice that I've re-snoozed about four times, which is to order the Arba Minim um, for Sukkot. Now, one quick note. Um, Arba Minim this year is going to play out differently than most years. Can you tell me why? Arba Minim this year is going to play out differently than most years, and it's true in America and true in Israel. Why? After Shemitah. Uh, not because of Shemitah. No. no. That would have been last year. Yeah. Right. Because the first day of Sukkot is Shabbat. Right. Now, why does that matter? Because Midoraita, when are we obligated to take to pick up the Abra Minim? Only on the first day. Only on the first day. In the Mikdash, Yechayev all week. But outside, certainly outside of the old city of Yerushalayim, certainly it's only the first day. And Rabbi Yochum and Zaka made a takana to, say, to do it every day to remember the Mikdash. Okay. So that means that every day that I shake Lulav this year is Durabanan. I don't have a right uh, obligation this year because we don't shake Lulav on Shabbat. That's a sugi by itself. We did that a while ago. Now, um, this is where things also get thorny. Since the only Doraita obligation, which we see from this Pasuk in front of us, source four, is on the first day, and that obligation carries with it a rider, which is Ulakachtem Lachem by Yomarishon, Prietzadar, etc. etc. You shall take for yourselves and take a look at the Sifra, the Torah Kohanim here says, Ulakachtem Lachem Kol Achad Vechad, Lachem Misha Lachem. Meaning, you cannot fulfill the mitzvah of Arba Minim on the first day with somebody else's lulav. You have to own it. And therefore, if you steal it, therefore, if you um, borrow it but don't return it, uh, etc., you're not Yotze. Now, it's only on the first day, all right? The rest of the week, you can borrow it. You, you know, it doesn't have to be transaction, et cetera, because it's a zecher, it's a commemoration. All right. Keep that in mind as we go to our sugya. Now, I'm going to ask you again to tell me what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. What do you see on page two in front of you? Right on the screen, what do you see? Describe what you see. Because for the last, thousand years or so we have moved from an oral society to a written society and so our study is done visually so what do you see different on the screen well yeah the right side looks like a an outline of the left side right but it's not an outline it's every single word on the left side is on the right side 
So what's the what's the difference? It looks like that one. Say it again. Pots with uh, pots line by line, so sentence by sentence, and it's color coded. Right. Okay. So it's broken up line by line. Punctuation. There's some punctuation in which I didn't even have punctuation to need it because I made it line by line. It's color coded, right? And I even put um, how do you call? It? I put uh, bullet items next to each one, so you shouldn't get misled by the last two lines. So now let's take a look at it. We're going to use the right side. Amarava. Now, who is Rava? Let's let's be clear. Who is Rava? Because there's a reason I made it red. And it has nothing to do with what political party Rava might have joined. Who is Rava? Where does Rava, Rava. when does Rava live? Anybody? He live, he's early and he's in Bavel. He's in Bavel. And when you say early, do you mean 6 a.m.? What do you mean early? <laughs> What's early? Uh, he's like um, uh, two hundred. Okay, you're right. It's it's actually fourth century, early third three hundreds. But you're close, and he's in Bavel. That's critical. He is what we call an Amora, although that's a misnomer. He is a Chacham in Bavel. Now, what language did they speak in Bavel? Aramaic. Aramaic. They spoke Babylonian Aramaic. In Eretz Israel, they spoke. Palestinian Aramaic, but they all spoke Aramaic. And when they had discussions in the Beit Midrash, what language did they discuss in? Aramaic. But when they issued rulings, what language are the rulings always in? Hebrew. Always in Hebrew. Always in Hebrew. Halakha is always in Hebrew, right? Mishnah, Breita, Memra, Shmata, it's always in Hebrew. And so here you see a memra of Rava, a halacha of Rava, where he says the following, and it's all in Hebrew. Now, I left something out here deliberately, but I, I'm going to ask you guys to help me make that line even clearer by adding something in. I won't add it in, but what could I have added in that would have made it clearer? Don't tell me yet. Tell me in a minute. We're going to go over all this. That's Rava's Memra, which is a very long Memra, as Memra would go. Memra is usually one line. Now, can anybody tell me what I could have added to the top red line that would have made it even clearer? A certain punctuation. Okay, so let's learn it through in the a question mark a question mark at the end. Um, no, there's no question marks in this. There's be question marks later, not yet. But what should I put in on the first line? So I'm gonna we're gonna study it through, and you're gonna tell just blurt it out when you get it. Helach manet means here. Here's a hundred dollars. Here's a manet, hundred dollars, a coin. Al zirehuli, meaning I'm giving it to you on condition that you do what. You return it. Return it to me, okay? And then Rava lists, meaning let's say that what I'm doing right now is a sale. And I'm buying something, and the vehicle for transaction is money. Money is not, we're not talking about the payment for the item. That's a debt. We're talking about the vehicle of transaction. 
So I'm giving you money to buy your house. I'm giving you a shama pruta to buy your house. Your house is worth way more than that. And we've structured a loan, you know, to pay off the house, pay off the house. But in the meantime, the transactional vehicle was Kesef. I give you, the house owner, uh, $5 and say, I'm giving you the $5 on condition you return it to me. What does he say? Is the, is the transaction valid or not? No. Doesn't work. Okay? Somebody tell me when you want to add something to the first line. Let me go. What does that mean? Oh. Well. You just said yeah. that it doesn't work. Doesn't work if what? If this is? Well, if it's returnable. In, in, in what case? What does Bisha mean? Marriage. Right. Or Kiddushin. Betrothal. Kiddushin. So if you go up to a girl and say, I'm giving you a ring, on condition you return the ring to me, the Kiddushin are invalid. It's invalid. Okay? Somebody want to tell me what to add to the first line yet? Add that it doesn't work. Yeah, no, no. What, what punctuation do you want to add to the first line that I didn't put in? Okay, I'll tell you right now because I don't want to keep you on, you know. Just a period, a period at the end. A period. Yeah, I would, I would put quotation marks. Quotation marks. Okay, you see why? Because Rava oh. said, a man says, and that's all he says. Then Rava goes through four different cases and says, here's the disposition of that case when you prefaced it with that statement. So they really should be in quote marks, but I had to leave something to tease you with. Okay. Okay, what does that mean? The, the, the coin can't accept the, 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 the silver coins uh, on the condition he's returning it. It has to be his. Okay, the coin can accept it, but what will not happen? You're, 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 he won't return it. What? He can't return it. Well, what do the no. words say? The pidyon not ben ain It's never. It's, it's never not redeemed. In a sense, it's, it's never for his. It's, it's your job to redeem your kid. So yeah, in a sense, it's never his in the first place. If you give the kohen five shkalim and say, "Here's five shkalim on condition you return it to me for pidyon not ben," then the kid is not redeemed. You haven't accomplished redemption. Now, from those three rulings, what would your conclusion be about Rava's thoughts about a retractable gift? It's not, a, it's not a Kenyan. It's not a Kenyan. It's not a gift. Correct. It's not my giving you something on condition return to me. It's never, it's never left me. And therefore, I didn't give it to you. And therefore, if it's a mecha, it doesn't work. Kedushin doesn't work. Pidyan doesn't work. And here's where the surprise comes along. I'm obligated to give Sherwin truma. Betruma yatsayadeinatina. What does that mean? Betruma yatsayadeinatina. In the case of Truma, I fulfilled what? The, the mitzvah of Truma. My mitzvah to give it to him. Yeah. Even though I gave it to him and said on condition to return it, which by the way means something. If he returns it to me, then everything's good. If he doesn't return it to me, it's stolen. Because the condition well, was I, I don't understand. I come up to Sherwin and I say, Sherwin, here's my Truma for you. I'm giving it to you on condition you return it to me. 
So Rava's, in this version, Rava's statement is, I have fulfilled the mitzvah of giving truma to the Kohen. Right? Because I gave it to him. You're right. That's why the Gemara is going to do the same thing, Bill, which puts its hands up. All right? But the Gemara says something before that, which is, Va'asur la'asot came. Now, notice the, the tension here. On the one hand, it's considered to be a valid act of truma giving. On the other hand, you're not allowed to do it, meaning it's wrong for other reasons, but it does work for truma. Why is it wrong? Now you'll see the introduction I gave you. What does it look like? Remember at the beginning, we talked about it. Defiling is is kuna is the sancta. What does this look like? What's a kohen hamasayeya beveta granot? Somebody who works in the granary and exactly. says exactly very good, Bill. Somebody yeah, works yeah, in the yeah. granary. So if Sherwin comes to me, I'm the farmer and says, you know what? I'll work in your granary and then I'll get the truma from you. We said that's wrong. That's not okay. And so therefore, if I come up to Sherwin instead and say, Sherwin, here, do me a favor. Pro forma, accept the truma, but give it back to me. And then I'm going to go sell it to some other coin for truma value, right? Which you could do, right? In certain cases. Then Rav is saying it's a valid act of truma giving, but I'm not allowed to do it because it looks like the coin is, you know, we're, we've got some sort of arrangement here, which is inappropriate, right? But, but if, I want, if I want to work in the granary, I want to get paid. Sure, and you and and if Sherwin wants to come work in the granary, we can work out a regular salary schedule. But I can't use Truma for that. Okay, that's defining Truma. Would the Truma case be a latchila and a bidiyevet, or it's or stam it's stam a sort of legamri? Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. Lechatchila, we shouldn't do it, but bidiyevet, if we did it, it's a valid giving. But I'm a bad guy, and you're a bad guy. Everybody here is a bad guy, but it's a valid giving. But the core problem here is this. Now, you guys all understand why I put quote marks on the top line? Mm -hmm. Because a guy says, and then we did distribute it. We say in case one, it doesn't work. Case two, it doesn't work. Case three, it doesn't work. Case four, it works, but it's not nice. And how that's all set up for the real main thing. And you notice I've, I've switched to the orange because I use the orange for Shakovataria. And remember, I, I only highlight the formula words. Right, formula words like last time we had manavshach. By the way, this is very much similar, very similar to manavshach we had last week. Right, take your pick, just be consistent. Same exact thing. So the Gemara says, my, now by the way, just an important note this notion of the retractable gift does not appear anywhere before Rava. It's nowhere in the Mishnah, it's nowhere in the Tosefta, it's nowhere in the first three generations of Amoraim. It starts and it's only in Babel. And it's only Rava and on. It's important to note. So he seems to be innovating. It's not the only idea that he innovated. Now, my Kesava Rava. This is now the Gomorrah. Now we're into Aramaic. We're into Shaklavataria. What is now my Kesava? Savar means what does the word Savar mean? What? Does he hold? What does he hold? Right. Very good. What does he hold? What does he think? Meaning. What we're going to do is going to attack Rava on grounds of inconsistency, which is, well, which position do you hold? Whichever position you should hold, you hold. You should hold it all the way through. 
And here, what did Rava had a position that he held three out of four cases. In the fourth case, he held the opposite. It's inconsistent. So watch the formula. My Kasavar Rava. Right? Rava, again, any of the black words, you could plug in other words because it's a formula. E Kasavar, what does E Kasavar, what does the word E mean? If he holds. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. If he holds Matana Almanat Wahzir Shma Matana. Now, what's a Matana? Yeah. Gift. Almanat means? Condition. On condition. Lehachzir. What's lehachzir? To return it. Return it. So a gift given on condition that you return it, shma matana is considered a matana. It's if he holds that, then afilu kulhu nami. Then all four cases should be valid, right? Because if Rava holds that a retractable oh. gift is valid, it should be valid in all four cases. And now, the but wait, this is always going to have two sides. So ikasavar and then ve'ikasavar. You all see it? Ve'ikasavar loshma matana. If on the other end, Rava holds that a retractable gift is not a gift, afilu truma namilo. Then what should be the case? Yeah, Truma would not be included. But you know, I, I'm, bothered, I'm bothered by the word matana. The matana implies that you're you're giving someone something without getting anything back as a just as as a as a, a beneficial thing. But mm -hmm. here, that's not that's not the context. Here, you're giving it for the l'shem mitzvah each time. It's not. The, but, but again, that's still a matana. That's exactly the word the Torah uses in the context of truma. Right? It's considered a matana. Now the matana. You might, I might have an obligation to find some coin to give it to, but it still has to be given as a gift. And when I'm giving a girl kedushin, it's a matana. Now, it's a matana in consideration for the relationship that's being that's being formed. But here, matana, sure, and you make a good point. But here, matana, we have to see in the large kind of a, read it more charitably as meaning any giving, whether it's a, a voluntary giving or an obligatory giving. Meaning, I give you something on condition you return it to me. Who owns it in the meantime? That's the question. Have have has it changed ownership in the meantime while it's gone into your hands, or is it always mine because of the condition? I mean, the, the assumption here, if I if, if I'm not incorrect, is that all these situations are analogous in the relevant sense. Right. Correct? Beautiful. Okay, yeah. I'm going to repeat what you said, Kurt. It's beautiful. And it's critical to, to understand the methodology. What, what Kurt is, po is pointing out is, to tell me if I get it right, is that the assumption of, of the Gomorrah is that all four of Rava's cases are relevantly analogous, meaning to our issue of retractable gifts, they all should carry the same spirit. And that's why we're bothered by the inconsistency of three don't work and one does work, because it should either be all work or all don't work. Right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's the assumption. But is it a correct assumption? Is well, very good. So let's see. Let's see. Right? So now we have several choices here. One choice is we could turn around and say, we could find some way to defend this very unusual, uneven ruling. But we won't be able to do it because we have other information. 
The other way to do it is to say, maybe the transmission of this ruling from Rava to his students to his students maybe got corrupted and there's another version, if we have another version out there, which we do. But guess what? That other version is also going to be inconsistent. And then we have to go to Kurt's point, which is maybe not all four of these things have the same um, underlying uh, framework of gift. Okay? It's very good. Very good. Okay, so now let's let's go to, that was punch number one. This is punch number one, which is Rav is being inconsistent. Punch number two is this, the odd. Now, you understand the word v'od here means, furthermore, like we got another attack. Ha-ravahu de'amar, meaning it's Rava himself who said, matana amanat lachzir shma matana. Meaning Rava already adopted the position that a retractable gift is a valid gift. How do we know that? The Amarava, here we go. And you tell me what I didn't put in here on this line that I should have. What did I, what I fail to put in there? Yeah, the quotes. Quotes, right. Because Rava said, if a man says to another fellow, again, first day of Sukkot, take this etrog, etrog, lulav, et cetera, <laughs> on condition you return it to me, the guy shakes it and then gives it back. He was Yotze because he fulfilled the condition, which means that while he held it, it was his. Mike gives his lulav to Zarbaminim to Bobby. And he says to Bobby, on the first day of Sukkot, he says, Bobby, I'm giving you this etrog on condition you return it to me. Bobby shakes it and returns it to Mike. Bobby was Yotze. If he doesn't return it, he wasn't Yotze. You know why? Why would it be that if Bobby never returned it to Mike, then he's not Yotze. That's Geneva. It's Geneva, exactly, and it was never his. Yep. It was never his, because what was the condition of the gift? Lachzir. Return it. If he doesn't return it, then retroactively, it was never given to him, and it, was, it wasn't his. Okay, good. But now, what do we see? That Rava is on record as saying that a retractable gift is valid, which means now three out of the four cases are not playing the way they should. By the way, you notice that we have five cases of this, the four here and Lulav. But evidently, and I'm going to go out on not much of a limb here, the tradition that Rava made this statement about Etrog must have been a very firm tradition that nobody challenged. Rava really did say that, which means we're comfortable saying that we have evidence that Rava said a retractable gift is valid in the case of Lulav which now throws three out of these four rulings into, into strange light. So watch what happens. And by the way, what would be one way to, to turn around and say, if the, if, the, if the transmission of the first memra, the very long memra, is incorrect, based on the, on the second memra about, about Lulav, what, would, what would, might we say about the first memra? What should it really have read? They're all valid, right? That's what we do. Should, they're all valid. They're all valid because we know Rava says a retractable gift is valid. Mecher works, Kedushin works, Pidyon Aben works, Truma works, and none of them are very nice. All right? Fine. Watch what Rav Ashi does. Rav Ashi is three generations after Rava. Watch what he does. El Amar Rav Ashi. Bekul Hukani Levar Me'isha. Now we're going to talk again about orality and memory. Uh, again. And numbers. I'll, I'll take you back in a minute. What did Ravashi say? Bekul hukani 
levar me'isha. Somebody take a stab at translating that line. If levar is the same as levad, then all of them is our beginning is established except for except for uh, uh, except for the marriage. Right. Very good. Very good. So now we go back to here, and Rashi says, flip this and say mecher works. Pidyonaban works. Truma works. The only one that doesn't work is Isha. Okay. Now, you got to wonder, why is Ravashi reconstructing a statement? By the way, he's reconstructing on his own. Why is he reconstructing and saying, this statement was not transmitted properly? And I'll tell you what it should read based on the fact that we know that Rava says a retractable gift is valid. He said that what we should really read is that Mecher works. Pidyon Aben works, Truma works, Isha doesn't work. And what's the reason? Remember, we have this on Daf Gimel. Why doesn't Chalipin work for Kiddushin? Because Chalipin can be done with a minimal clea of no value, and no woman is going to accept that. Right? It's beneath her dignity. Okay, we get it. But why didn't Ravashi just turn around and say, okay, the thing was transmitted incorrectly and they all work? So I'm going to take you back to our Mishnah. But not for content, but for memory framing. Remember that the earliest Mishnayot that we have, not all, but many of them, used number schemes. So the way that I proposed, our first Mishnah is Ha'isha Nikneit B'Shalosh Drachim B'Kona Etatzma B'Shtei Drachim. That's it. A woman can be acquired through three ways and acquire herself through two ways. And that's all there is. And everybody knew what the three ways are. Then over time, when there developed discussion about what the three ways are, they added in a line, Kesef Shtar Bia. And they all knew how much Kesef. And then later on, when they, there was the Machloket about how much Kesef, they added the Machloket in. So you know, but Hillel's position is Pruta. And then later on, when they, need, they forgot how much a Pruta was worth, they added in one-eighth of an Italian coin. Okay. So it all starts really with a numbering system. Now, what Suravashi so is saying, there was a Tana who memorized this. And he obviously memorized it wrong. Wrongly, because we know that Rava holds and Matam and Al-Akhzir works. But how wrong was he? So notice what Ravashi comes up with. He says, what did the Tana know correctly? He knew correctly that the topic was Matana Manat Lahzir. He knew correctly that the four cases that Rava talked about were Mecher, Kiddushin, Pidyanaben, and Truma. What else did he know right? What did he know correctly? That three of them followed one rule and one was an exception, right? Hmm. And so where did the Tana then mess up? He thought the exception was Truma. And therefore, he said, all of the other ones are no good. Truma is good, but you can't do it because it's not nice, right? What did Ravashi say? Ravashi says, you know how it should be reconstructed? You know what Ravashi really said? Mecher does work. Pidyon Aben does work. Truma does work. But you're right, there's one exception. What's the exception? Isha. And was, I'm trying to point out here is that Ravashi... And I, I just, I'm always wowed by his brilliance because he reconstructed this on his own and he realized that it wasn't just a flub. It was a very thoughtful flub. 
of having all the information correct except for one piece. And that is that three of the cases follow one rule and the one doesn't. Question is, what, what's the rule of the three and which is the one that's out? And by the way, if I were to tell you right now, in these four cases, three of them work and one doesn't work, you would automatically say Kiddushin is the one that doesn't work. Because think about it. If I'm giving you a dollar to buy your house, clearly that's not the value of the house. So the fact that I say on condition you give back to me, who cares? Even with a coin today, you could say if the coin's agreeable to give it back, so who cares? But with Kiddushin, I think we'd all be agreeable that you give her Kiddushin on condition she returns it. That defeats the whole point of the Kiddushin. <laughs> so, so you understand. And then what's beautiful about this is the last two lines. So Ravuna, a later Ravuna, turns to Ravashi and says, that's exactly the way that we had the tradition of Rava. I want you to see how amazing this is. Ravashi on his own reconstructed Rava's Memra, and then a student turned around later and said, that's exactly the way we had it in our yeshiva. Now again, the, 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 the critical difference that we really always have to wrap our heads around, and it's hard for us, is orality. In other words, this could never happen in a written, in a, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a graphically oriented system, right? But with memory, it is possible to have the same information and have one variant that turns everything around, and then, you know, somebody returns it and says, oh, yeah, that's the way we have the tradition also. Anyways, that's part one of the shear. And the, the purpose of this was both to show how the memory system works, but also to teach this particular piece about the Maika Savar as being an attack on inconsistency. And by the way, at the end of the sugya, we end up inconsistent, but not really. We end up saying what Kurt said, which is one of these cases is actually substantively different. And that's Isha. And therefore, we're right that the cases are not all going to be the same, but they're inverted. Three do work, one doesn't work, and the one that doesn't work is Isha. Okay. And it comes. Just, yeah, this makes this uh, very tricky because we're not only trying to understand the structure and logic of the debate. But we're also keeping in mind that maybe um, uh, a, a, um, an opinion of one of the uh, sages may not be, may not have been articulated correctly. I'm gonna, I'll say it a little differently, but you're right. Go ahead. It's been transmitted correctly. Yeah. Right. Now, we have this, by the way, way more often than, than I mean, I, I pointed out, but way more often than we think, where, for instance, I'll give you one example. We have this a lot. And we have this in, in Gittin. We have it in a lot of places. Rabbi Yochanan is famous for saying, you all know this, halacha kistam mishnah, right? Rabbi Yochanan is famous for saying, whenever you have a stam mishnah, meaning a mishnah with no attribution, that's the halacha, right? That's Rabbi Yochanan, famous statement. And then, from time to time, we have Rabbi Yochanan ruling in favor of a Brita or in favor of a second opinion in a Mishnah, not the Stam. 
and we raise it and we say, how can you Rav Yochanan rule like Shem Gamliel here? We have Rav Yochanan on record saying Allah Kistam Mishnah. Remember the answer? Trey Tanoi Aliba de Rav Yochanan, or Trey Amoroi Aliba de Rav Yochanan. Meaning, there were two different traditions about Rav Yochanan said. By the time we're having this discussion, Rav Yochanan is a hundred hundreds of years gone. He's not available. Unless you want to go to Eindor and, and do that. <laughs> Rabbi Yochanan is unavailable. And therefore, all we have is the traditions in his name. And guess what? We have two different traditions in his name. One that says, as a hard and fast rule, we always rule like Islam Mishnah. And one that, in this particular case, we rule differently. And we don't know what he actually said. So you're right. Okay, I'd like to at least start the next piece. Uh, which is um, um, really the very next piece in the Gemara, and you can see it here. Um, I wanted to give you just one quick introduction to it, which is the font, two quick introductions. All right, the first thing is, uh, and we're shifting gears, um, and, the, and, and here we're going to see um, a halachic concept and the application of a halachic concept, a different concept. First is a halachic concept known as arev. An arev is a guarantor, a cosigner. Uh, it is something that is uh, in popular use today in Israel. Uh, when I bought my apartment, all of my chevra signed on as arevim, and I signed on as arev probably for 17 other guys. You know, you had to collect like a bunch of arevim who would basically back up your, your mortgage, right? Tanya nami uh, We have a bright, uh, this is the end of Baba Batra. Um, Near the end. Let's say I lend you money and there's a guarantor there. The creditor cannot come first to the guarantor. He must first come to the borrower. But if when he lends the money, he says, I'm lending it on condition that I can collect from anybody I want to, he can come and collect from the Arev first. Right? This is the part I wanted to get to. How do we know that an Arev becomes liable? Think about this. I sign on for your apartment. What right does the bank have to come and get money out of me for something I never got benefit from? Why? Why? Where, where's, the, where's the concept that a person can be mishabed themselves, can, in, can, um, can obligate themselves without having received anything in kind. Yeah, but it, it could be that it's the third party. In other words, he owes, he owes the, the buyer favors of whatever sort. But, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a guy on the side. I'm a, a on the side, all right? Sure, when you're buying a house in, in Modine, okay? And you... Um, uh, and we've looked. Point, we've looked, by the way, in Modine. <laughs> I know, that's why I said it. <laughs> so, so um, and the bank says, okay, we're going to lend you, uh, you know... 10 million check or whatever it is, you need to back it up. And so you get five Arevim. Now, I sign on as an Arev because I'm your friend. I want to help you out. But what halachic mechanism is there? Or what background is there that says that I'm actually on the hook? I signed my name as a good guy. And the answer is, The word Arev actually shows up in the Parsha of Yehuda and Binyamin. When Yehuda comes up to his father, after waiting a couple of years and all the food running out and says, we can't go down without Benjamin. And Yaakov says, you can't do it. You can't do it. 
And Yehuda says, Anochi e'ervenu, I will be his guarantor. Miyadit vakshenu, meaning if something happens to him, that's on me. And that's exactly the attitude that Yehuda takes later on, even though Binyamin seemingly puts himself in hot water for apparently taking the goblet. That's, we know that's not what happened. Nonetheless, Yehuda is on the hook, which leads to that famous standoff. So you see here that the notion of Arev, even though it's a halachic notion about money, is anchored in personal liability, not financial liability. Okay, that's part one. Part two, separate from that, is a Mishnah that we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. It's on Daf Chafet. It's the third Mishnah in Kiddushin. And that is Eved Kna'ani. Remember I told you that the first half of the first parak is called Parak HaKinyanim. Isha, Yivama, Eved Ivri, Ama Ivriya, Eved Kna'ani, Behem Agasa, Behem Adaka, Chalipin, Nechasim Shishtam Amchrayut, all of the different things and how they're acquired. How do you acquire an Eved Kanani? So you can give the owner of a dollar, and then later on you own whatever, 10,000, you know, whatever you agree on. But again, that's the Kesef here as the, as the transactional vehicle. So that means the owner says to me, I'll sell you my Eved. And then I tell the Eved, okay, go shine my shoes. The Eved becomes mine. In the meantime, we've still worked out. I owe him $10,000, whatever. But here's the part we care about for our purposes. The konet that's small. How does an Eved Kanani acquire himself? Meaning, go free. Bekesef al Meaning, some outside person comes in with kesef, goes up to the master and says, here's 10,000 bucks for your slave. Uvishtar al Meaning, you can give the Eved the star himself, just like a get. Right? It comes simultaneously with his freedom. Divrei Rab Meir. Right, that he could actually bring his own money, and the question is, how does he have any money, um, and free himself? Meaning, the master can give the star to another person, and then the Ebed goes free. In the case of the Kesef, it has to be other people's money that they're giving to the slave for purposes of freedom. Now, that's the background. Let's take a look at the at the sugya. We'll only be able to start it. We'll be able to probably the first spitz, but it's 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 re revealing. And again, I'm not going to ask you again. You take a look at the piece from the printed shas on the left side and the layout, and you can see, of course, the difference. I'm a Rav, and again, it's Rava. Right, Rava, who may be the biggest star in the Talmud Bavli. I don't know. Now I left something out and I want you to tell me what I left out and where it should go. That's all Rava said. It's red. That's his Memra. All right. Notice the rest goes in Aramaic. So I didn't put it in red. His Memra was just those eight words. What's missing in punctuation? The same thing as before, the quotation marks at the beginning. Right. Excellent. Where should the quotation marks go? Between Tain and Lach. Very good. Excellent. Everybody see it? Sherwin nailed it. Tain manet leploni vekadesh lach, meaning a, a, girl, um, a girl says to a guy, Susie says to Mike, Mike, give $100 to Bobby, and I will be mitkadesh to you. And then Rava's ruling is mikudeshet, meaning it's valid. Midin Arev. 
Meaning, the Kiddushin are valid because the principle of Arev is operating here. Now, let's see how that works. Now, let's think about it. In a normal case, who gives who money and, and how does Kiddushin work? First of all, in a normal case, how many players are there in Kiddushin? Two. Two. That's it. A guy and a girl. And who gives who the money? Guy gives the girl money. Guy gives the girl money. And says, Arem could actually, and she says yes, and they go off into the sunset. That's great. How many players are in our story? Three. Three. There's Mike, who wants to marry Susie, and there's Bobby, who's some neighbor, right? Mike comes up to Susie and says, I want to marry you. Susie says, you know what? Give $100 to Bob, and, I'll be, and, I'll, and that'll be Kedushin to me. Rava says it works. Which means what we've done is we've expanded Kedushin that the girl doesn't have to get the money anymore. All right? Now, how does Arev influence this? In other words, we're saying it's Mikudesh Midin Arev, and now the Gemara expands. This is not Rava talking anymore. How do I know that? It's not red. It's, how do I know that it's not Rava talking anymore? It's Aramaic. It's Aramaic, Aramaic. and it's and it's and it's explaining. Rava made a statement. The Gemara is now explaining. Arev, lav afalgav, meaning even though, delomati anali aday, an arev gets no benefit. I signed on to help Sherwin's house. I got no benefit. I didn't get 5% of the house. I got nothing. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I put myself on the hook. In other words, it's possible to become on the hook without gaining anything. Here's the analogy. And I put the analogy, that the index, the target of the analogy underlined. Right? The index blue and the target underlined. Again, just my own system. The same thing with this woman, Sally. Means even though what? What does that mean? I didn't. Even though I didn't get any benefit. She didn't get any benefit. She didn't get any money. She obligates herself by becoming Mikudesha. Right? Now notice in this model, which we're not rejecting at all, we're living with this model. In this model, a woman becoming Mikudeshet is seen as a Shiabud, is seen as her um, becoming obligated in something, which she is. And so therefore, since we have out there in the world of contracts, a halachic notion called Arev, Rava says, building on the notion of Arev, I can expand Kedushin to include a gift to a third party, however, directed by whom? This is the critical thing. The gift to the third party has to be directed by whom? The Kala. By the, by the girl. The Kala, yeah. Right? The girl has to say, you give it to <clears throat> Right? It could be I owe money. It could be he's my friend. It could be I want to butter him up. It could be he's my landlord and I want to smear him. Whatever reason. But I'm gaining something from it, even though I'm not directly getting the money. All right? By the way, same thing. Let's think about for a second. Why does an Arev become Mishubad? So I want to ask you this question. Go back to my own case 40 years ago when I bought my house in Yushalayim. And I went to 17 of my friends 
I got them to all sign on. And those same 17 friends, each one of them came to me to sign on to. They all signed on to each other. How did I feel when the, somebody came to me and said, can you please be my Arev? Well, you had a chiyuv to help him. Okay, and how did I feel? Indebted. Well, am I indebted to him? He's yeah, asking, if he, if he, he defaults, what? If he defaults, then you're on the hook. I'm on the hook to, to his lender, not to him. Right. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel great. I feel great because somebody came to me in need and I can help them. And you know what it cost me? It cost me about four drops of ink. Now, it cost me something else, theoretically, maybe. But being in our rave is an honor. In the same way, this woman has some benefit. Obviously, she's friendly uh -huh. with Bobby. Um, Bobby's been a friend of the family. Um, you know, Bobby just helped her out of a jam. Bobby helped get her an early appointment at the marriage license bureau, something. So she's gaining something from Bobby getting the money. And that's important to make it parallel to the IRA. Okay, good. So we have time for the second piece of this because Rava builds a magnificent case. It's just the whole building of this is so, mm -hmm. so beautiful because Rava starts off by saying, okay, case A, which is weird, works because of IRA. Case B that we're going to see in a minute is, which is weird, works also because of something else. And then I'm going to mix them together and show you that an even weirder case works because you just put two principles together. It's great. Now, there's your quotes. Who's talking to whom? A is talking to B. Okay. Hitkadshi means who's 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 the person being talked to? Me. Um, Hitkadshi. No, Mark, the, the Kala. The Kala. The girl. the girl. So now Mike says to Sue's Sally, here's $100 and be mitkadeshet to Bobby. <laughs> now, Mike is not operating as Bobby Shaliach. That's a no-brainer. Bobby is in Kansas City. Bobby gives Mike $100 says, go up to Sally in LA and give her $100 for me. That's easy. We're talking about where Mike comes up to Sally and says, I know that Bobby is he's embarrassed, doesn't have the money. I'm giving you $100, be Mikadesh to Bobby. All right? Now, in this case, what have we changed about normal Kedushin? In the first case, what we changed was Sally wasn't getting money. What is happening in the second case? Was not authorized by the, by the Chatan. What? It again, it's not authorized by the Khatan. Maybe it's okay, but you're but you're on the right track, but take it one step further. In a normal case, who gives the money? Man to the wife. To the right. Woman. Mike to Sally. Right? Mike was going to marry Sally. Mike gives Sally money. In the first case, Mike gave it to Bobby instead at Sally's direction. That worked. Now Mike gives money to Bobby and Sally is mitkadesh to Bobby, which means Bobby has not laid any money out. So notice what we've expanded. In the first case, we expanded the recipient. And in the second case, we expand the donor. In the first case, we expanded the recipient. It doesn't have to be the girl. It can be somebody the girl wants to get the money. And in the second case, we expand the donor that the donor asks doesn't have to be the guy. 
It could be some other guy. All right. So, so are you saying that the person who's marrying Sally doesn't have to give right. Sally money? That's right. Right. Okay. Where's that from? Mikudeshet Medin Evan Kanani. Rava says that based on the rule of liberating an Evid Kanani, based on that principle, Bobby doesn't have to give any money. Mike can give Sally money and say, and it works. Not as Bobby Shaliach. If it's Bobby Shaliach, it's a no-brainer. That's not this. And let's see what the reasoning is. The Gemara says, Evid Kanani, the Evid Kanani did not lose anything because how does an Evid Kanani go free? Remember the Mishnah? A third party comes and gives money to whom? To the owner. The owner. And the Evid goes free. So the Evid didn't lose anything, and yet he acquires his own freedom. Hi, Gavranami, this guy who's marrying Sally. Alpha He didn't lose anything because Mike paid for him. He acquires this woman. Now, interesting is they make a parallel between acquiring your own freedom and acquiring your wife. These cases are quite different. Because in the case of the Evakanani, he's acquiring his own self. Yeah, and then the, the, other, the other one is without Rashut. The, uh, the, the, the alleged Khatan never asked to marry her. No, again, that we're, we're going to sidestep that problem of what's Bobby's role here. I'm going to make up a scene for you just to put that to, to a little rest, which is Bobby has confided in Mike and let Sally know, I really want to marry you. I just don't have any money. And so Mike, acting on his own, comes up to Sally and says, here's $100, be Mekadish to Bobby. Right? Mike is Bobby's rich friend. He wants to help him out. He's not acting at Bobby's behest, but he knows that Bobby's interested. Right? But the the point here that is different is that an Evid Kanani acquires his own freedom. Mike here acquires Susie, but we're equating the two. And because the principle is the same, which is I can acquire uh, a, uh, a, uh, a person, as it were, personhood without expending money. I can be an Evid Kanani, somebody else pays money, and I acquire myself. I am a girl I am a guy, and I acquire this girl without me giving any money. Somebody else gave the money. All right? Which leads Rava to the following piece, which I'm going to leave you with, which is, and this is what's really beautiful, Now, why here we go. Remember, in the first case, we expanded the recipient. In the second case, we expanded the donor. Now let's do both. Just put it together. If the recipient doesn't have to be the girl and the donor doesn't have to be the guy, watch this. Susie says to Mike, give money to Bobby and I'll be Mikadesh to Bobby. Which means Bobby's not giving any money. Susie's not getting any money. Rava says, if you put the two principles together, those conditions will work too. It's brilliant. Because Rava has just built up step by step a logical building, and an analog an, an analogical building, 
built on the analogy from Arev, analogy from Ivan Kanani, and then putting them together and saying, if the recipient doesn't have to be the girl, it can be somebody the girl directs it to, and the donor doesn't have to be the guy, it could be a friend of the guy who's doing it on his behalf, or doing it to help him, then how about both together? Sally says to Mike, give money to Bobby, and I'll be Mikadesh to Bobby, which, by the way, now becomes, if you step <laughs> away from it, somewhat bizarre, is that Bobby's getting money along with the girl instead of giving money to get the girl. And it says, oh, yeah. and then the Gemara goes through the arguments back and forth, which, of course, we've run out of time. Don't we have the same question? I mean, is the analogy an apt analogy? Yeah, so Rava is buying that's 100% apt analogy, which leads us to a much larger discussion about what Kinyan Kiddushin is and why, and that's part of what the whole Dapim that we're dealing with these days are. <clears throat> what is the nature of Kinyan Kiddushin? And why even use the word Kinyan? And you don't really own the girl. She's not your chattel. So why do we use the word Kinyan? And how does that work? That's something that maybe we'll pick up in a later dive if we decide to go more um, uh, theoretically than, than uh, skills-wise. But you have to let me know. Um, in any case, what we've done over the course of the last um, hour is... Um, let me just do this. Tom. What we've done over the course of the last hour is to take a look at a, uh, a sugya, two sugyot. One is Matanam and Al-Akhzir, and the other is Kiddusha Medina, Arev, Evikrani, and both. And what we've done is also take a look at the, at the chronological layers in the Gemara to see, um, uh, to see the role of the Memra in the discussion back and forth. And, base, and, and along with that, cut into some real interesting concepts and all anchored in the principle that um, that halacha is an integrated system. And therefore, if something works in contracts, it works in kiddushin. If something works in liberating a slave, it works in kiddushin. In other words, unless you can demonstrate an inherent disanalogy, then we assume analogy and we assume application across the board. Right. That last principle, the last principle by Rava should be the motto of those who make Shidduchim. Anything goes. <laughs> yeah, but it's not anything goes. We're very tight with that. We're very, very tight with that. But what, what Rava is doing here is brilliantly expanding the, the traditional picture of Kiddushin um, based on, again, all of these other halachic uh, um, pre um, premises, really. Uh, because of these other halachic models. Okay, next week we're going to pick up something uh, probably about Evid Ivri as we begin that sugya on Dafyodalad. In the meantime, we have a great week.